Hi everyone, I'm Debbie Roberts, owner and financial advisor at Property Apprentice. Join us today for the Week in Review, where I talk about current events for the everyday investor and home buyer. Our topics for this week, first up from good returns on 6th of November, new faces but not enough places. Second topic from staff on the 7th of November, million dollar buyers, more than half Auckland market. Topic number three, landlords.co.nz on the 8th of November, changes expected to a bill regulating property managers. And fourth topic from One Roof on the 7th of November, they want to take the money and run. Mum and dad investors ready to quit. And topic number five from landlords.co.nz on the 9th of November, market share soars for first home buyers. Topic number one, good returns on the 6th of November, new faces but not enough places. New Zealand's construction industry is experiencing a deepening downturn with a significant decline in building activity expected in the upcoming year, coinciding with record high levels of migration. Residential building permits fell by another 5% in September, reaching levels lower than pre-pandemic times. Over the past year, approximately 40,000 new dwellings received consent, marking a 20% decrease from the previous year. This decline in consent numbers has been observed across the country, including a 22% drop in Auckland, an 18% decrease in Wellington and a 17% decrease in Canterbury. The downturn is a result of challenging financial conditions in the sector, characterised by rising building costs, a sharp decrease in house prices and ongoing increases in interest rates. Consequently, developers have been hesitant to initiate new projects, while potential buyers have been cautious about making purchases. Westpac predicts a significant reduction in residential building in the coming year, although the decline may be somewhat mitigated by the fact that many projects were consented in the past year, but shortages of staff and materials have caused delays in their completion. This situation is occurring alongside a record influx of migrants, with approximately 199,500 non-New Zealand citizens immigrating to the country over the past 12 months, resulting in a net gain of 110,200 individuals. This surge in demand for housing is driving up house prices and rents, particularly in Auckland. Notably, a substantial portion of recent migrants hail from India, the Philippines and China all of whom have typically earned below average wages in New Zealand. This is likely to exert additional upward pressure on lower-priced homes and rentals compared to the top end of the market. The significant flows of migrants in both directions will lead to increased property market activity, supporting house sales volumes and rents. However, the cooling labour market may limit tenants' ability to pay higher rents in the future. Auckland has become the primary destination for migrants, which has contributed to its economic activity. This concentration of migrants in Auckland has further inflated house prices in the city, despite increased construction efforts in recent years. ANZ's chief economist, Sharon Zollner, expects that this pressure on the Auckland housing market will spill over into neighbouring regions like the Waikato and Bay of Plenty as relative prices adjust. Rising population growth is likely to result in sustained increases in both house prices and rents, but as the labour market cools, tenants may have limited capacity to afford higher rents, which could curtail further increases. Second topic from Stuff on the 7th of November, million dollar buyers more than half Auckland market. 
In October, Barfoot and Thompson reported that over half of their Auckland property sales fell within the price range of $1 million to $2 million. This represented a notable shift in the market, with steady but modest growth observed throughout the month. There was an increased number of new property listings, higher sales figures, and both the median and average sale prices surpassed the $1 million mark for the first time since March. However, it is important to note that even though the median and average prices are above $1 million now, there are still properties valued lower than that. Okay, so if you're a first-time buyer, don't lose hope. The managing director, Peter Thompson, noted that the average sale price was $1.09 million, marking the highest in the past four months. Thompson emphasized that after positive signs in August and September, the market experienced a more pronounced upturn in October. Vendors returned to the market with strength, contributing to 1,829 new listings for the month, a 25% increase compared to September, and a 33% increase over the same period in the previous year. Buyers were also willing to commit, resulting in 846 sales, which is the highest for an October in three years, and a 33% increase compared to the previous October. Rising interest rates and economic uncertainties which had restrained prices began to ease. The median price reached $1,011,250, marking the highest median price in the past seven months. Notably, the $1 million to $2 million price bracket, while traditionally significant, constituted more than half of the sales for the first time in the year. Properties selling for more than $2 million accounted for 6.6% of the market. By the end of the month, there were 4,564 listings, providing buyers with a diverse range of properties to choose from. While rural and leisure markets in the regional areas surrounding Auckland experienced a surge in new listings similar to metropolitan Auckland, sales activity remained subdued. However, there was an increase in buyer interest, inquiries and viewings in these markets, particularly in the latter part of the month. Vendors and buyers show greater flexibility and willingness to reach agreements, raising expectations that the rural and leisure markets would soon witness increased sales activity. If you'd like to learn more about investing in property, join me at one of our free events called How to Succeed with Property Investing. I'll discuss strategies for successful investing from my perspective as an investor and a financial advisor, available live online or in person. You can check out propertyapprentice.co.nz for upcoming dates and register today. We don't sell property, so it's all about increasing your knowledge to reduce your risk. If you've already been to one of our free events and you'd like to find out more about how we can help you to reach your financial goals, you can also book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, via the website. That's propertyapprentice.co.nz. Third topic for this week in review from landlords.co.nz on the 8th of November, changes expected to a bill regulating property managers. If Chris Bishop assumes the role of Housing Minister in the national-led coalition government, it's anticipated that changes will be made to the previous government's Residential Property Managers Bill. This bill, introduced to Parliament in August, pertains to approximately 42% of the residential tenancy market. It encompasses compulsory registration and licensing for individual property managers and their organisations, training and entry prerequisites, practice standards and the establishment of a complaints and disciplinary process, 
under the jurisdiction of the Real Estate Authority. It's important to note that this bill does not encompass private landlords, kaianga ora, or registered community housing providers. At the recent annual conference of the Residential Property Managers Association, or RPMA, Chairman David Pearce shared that Bishop expressed a willingness to discuss potential modifications to the bill. While the RPMA supports the regulation of property managers, they believe that the current version of the bill is excessively bureaucratic and does not enhance the quality of service for tenants or for property owners. Furthermore, the RPMA has been actively advocating for the inclusion of private landlords in the bill. Of the submissions received on the initial proposal from the previous government, 182 submitters favoured the incorporation of private landlords in the legislation. Initially, the RPMA suggested that the government adopt a a system similar to RentSmart Wales. In Wales, all immediate rental landlords are required to register, providing personal details, property addresses and information about those responsible for property letting and management. This information is publicly available and open for scrutiny. The RPMA had previously lobbied the Labour government for a comparable system in New Zealand, but it was not pursued. They argue that countries with comprehensive landlord regulation experience high compliance with the law, resulting in a more stable environment and elevated rental and landlord standards. The precise number of landlords in New Zealand remains unknown and challenging to determine, according to Pierce. Some private landlords contend that they do not require regulation since they directly handle tenants' rent and are unlikely to act against their own interests. They also point out that tenants can have their grievances addressed through the Tenancy Tribunal, which has the authority to penalise landlords. In addition to advocating for the inclusion of private landlords, the RPMA opposes the Real Estate Authority's involvement in the complaint and disciplinary process. They argue that the Ministry of Housing and Urban Development, specifically its Tenancy Services Division, is better equipped to operate in and comprehend the rental market. The RPMA has submitted new proposals on the bill to Chris Bishop, who has expressed his intention to review them and consider the bill's direction. Regardless of whether Bishop is appointed as Housing Minister, the association is eager to meet with the new appointee at the earliest opportunity. My personal thoughts are on this. I think potentially if if the bill was modified to include private landlords as well, we would certainly offer more protection for tenants as, you know, the private landlords would need to be up to scratch as well and and meeting their requirements. So we'd potentially get rid of some more slumlords out of the industry, which give the rest of us a bad name. So I don't think that it's the end of the world. Obviously, for private landlords, it would incur extra costs. But, you know, if the costs were excessive and the regulation was excessive, then that's what professional property managers are for, in my opinion. Fourth topic for this week in review. From One Roof on the 7th of November, they want to take the money and run. Mum and dad investors ready to quit. A surge of investment properties may enter the market by mid next year if the National Party fulfills its pledge to reduce the Brightline test to two years, according to industry experts interviewed by One Roof. These experts suggest that mum and dad investors who purchased properties in 2020 benefiting from low interest rates are now facing challenges in covering their mortgage payments. The Brightline test, functioning as New Zealand's version of a capital gains tax, 
obliges individuals selling residential properties within a specific time frame to pay income tax on any gains. Presently, the Brightline test spans 10 years for properties bought after 27th March 2021 and five years for properties acquired before this date. New builds are excluded. So new builds purchased after 27th of March 2021 also meet the five-year Brightline period. Okay. National has committed to shortening the Brightline test to two years, no later than July 2024. While the Brightline tax doesn't apply to vendors selling their primary residences in most situations, it does affect those selling investment properties, holiday homes or vacant properties during overseas travel if they've been away from home for longer than 365 days, with a few extra fish hooks in there that you need to be aware of. Loan market mortgage advisor Dave Williams notes that some mum and dad investors who took advantage of 2% interest rates may struggle with their mortgage payments now that rates have risen above 7%. Those unable to cover mortgage costs with rental income may reconsider property as an investment option for their retirement. CoreLogic's chief property economist, Calvin Davidson, anticipates a growing number of investors looking to sell when changes to the Brightline rules take effect. He suggests that some investors may be losing money weekly but are willing to wait for the Brightline test to expire rather than paying capital gains tax. Property investor Nick Gentle points out that it's not just interest rates and increased tax bills that are affecting investors, but also doubled insurance costs. He expects an uptick in property listings due to the changes in the Brightline rule. Angela Webb, an investment sales specialist at Bailey's in Canterbury, anticipates that new two- and three-bedroom townhouses purchased in 2020 to 2021 may flood the market as investors find it challenging to cover their costs. She also notes a slight oversupply of two-bedroom houses in Christchurch. On the other hand, Webb mentions that some property traders might decide to sell properties once they no longer have to pay tax on their profits. Um, And on that, anyone who's bought a property with the intention of selling has to pay tax at their terminal tax rate. So, yeah, and property traders pay GST and tax on profit. So I think that's a little bit misinformed there. Webb also suggests that other potential property rule changes under a national-led government have led investors to inquire about older homes because generally older properties have higher rental returns. However, Sue Harrison, president of the New Zealand Property Investors Federation, doesn't expect a mass sell-off of properties due to the Brightline rule change. Instead, she believes that the high tax bills are more likely to drive investors to sell. Harrison notes that most members typically buy and hold properties, intending to sell at the appropriate time to reduce their mortgages and secure funds for their retirement, and potentially not sell at all. Rising taxes present a more significant concern for investors, and the incoming government has indicated changes in this area. Under a national-led government, interest deductibility rules would be gradually reinstated, starting at 50% in 2024, then moving to 75% in 2025 and reaching 100% interest deductibility from April 2026. However, the details of these policies may change based on coalition negotiations with minority parties. My personal thoughts on this are that the only people that will sell their investment properties 
are those that are really struggling to pay the mortgage with the interest rates where they are in addition to the increased tax bills that have been faced. So I think anyone else who can afford to hold on to those properties is likely to hold on to them for longer, especially if it's in an area where property values have started to increase. Because obviously, the longer they own it, the more equity they will get. And eventually, interest rates will come down as well. So I would suggest it's only people that will actually need to sell that will be selling. I'm not expecting a mass exodus of property investors from the market, especially since we've got a change of government, which is seems to be quite open to the idea of making things a bit more balanced between landlords and tenants, which is a good move, in my opinion. Fifth topic from landlords.co.nz on the 9th of November, market share soars for first-home buyers. During the third quarter of this year, first-home buyers acquired 27% of the houses sold, marking a new record high, which I think is awesome. You know, especially when we're facing constant commentary from the media about how impossible it is for first-home buyers to buy a property these days, there's 27% who are proving them wrong. Over the year to date, first-home buyers held a 26% market share, surpassing the long-term average of 21%. However, the total number of transactions remains below historical levels in a somewhat subdued market, as reported by CoreLogic's biannual first-home buyer report. Calvin Davidson, Chief Property Economist at CoreLogic New Zealand, noted that first-home buyers have had a favourable market environment with several factors working in their favour. He anticipated that first-home buyers might continue to maintain an above-average share of property purchases in the coming six to nine months. He also suggested that runaway house price growth is unlikely, especially if debt-to-income ratio caps for mortgage lending are introduced in the next year, which I still don't expect to see debt-to-income ratios introduced unless house prices start to take off again, which again, I'm not expecting that to happen in the next six to 12 months either. Affordability and high mortgage rates are the biggest limiting factors in the market at the moment. And so, you know, banks testing your affordability at 9% interest rates, that is what is slowing the market down to a huge extent. Davidson further pointed out that the changing government and adjustments to the tax system for property investors, such as shorter bright line test, and full reinstatement of mortgage interest deductions could reintroduce competition for first-home buyers. My opinion on this is that the only people that first-home buyers need to worry about are those investors who are buying with emotion, not buying based on the numbers. Because generally speaking, emotional buyers like first-home buyers and mum and dad investors who think that this particular house looks pretty and might rent out for a, to a good tenant, they tend to be emotional and they'll pay a lot more for a property than an experienced investor will. Because as property investors, we buy based on the numbers. We don't buy with emotion. Despite affordability challenges, high interest rates and cost of living pressures, first-home buyers in New Zealand remain dominant in the housing market, driven by the aspiration of home ownership. I mean, let's face it, rents are going to continue to increase over the long term, aren't they? So if you can afford to pay a mortgage with interest rates where they are at the moment, it's likely to just get easier moving forward. First-home buyers are adopting various strategies to enter the market, including using low deposit lending limits at banks, utilising KiwiSaver for down payments, 
securing first-home grants and loans, or compromising on home size and location. The trend of first-home buyer dominance is consistent across the country's six main urban centres. The Wellington leads with a 33% market share, while Tauranga lags with 21%. Auckland, Christchurch and Dunedin are each 5% above the average, and Hamilton 6% higher for 2023. Provincial markets also exhibit the same pattern, with Invercargill having the most significant first-home buyer market share at 32%, far exceeding the long-term average. Whangarei, Rotorua, South Waikato and Clutha are noted as first-home buyer hotspots. The median price paid by first-home buyers has decreased from $720,000 last year to $690,000 in 2023 reflecting the overall downturn in property values nationwide. Auckland first-home buyers pay the most, with a median of 875000 this year, which still means that there's about half of the properties that are less than that. Okay, Property pr- type preferences among first-home buyers have shifted, with standalone houses representing 71% of purchases in quarter three, while flats have increased to 22% for the year to date. In summary, first-home buyers have remained strong players in New Zealand's housing market despite challenges. They employ various strategies to secure their first homes, and their market share exceeds long-term averages in both urban and provincial areas. The median price they pay has fallen, and the choice of property type has evolved. As property markets evolve due to economic shifts, demographic changes, the need to understand and adapt to these dynamics becomes essential. By learning about property investing, you can find ways to identify emerging opportunities and optimise your strategy. Join one of our upcoming free events called How to Succeed with Property Investing. As an experienced property investor and licensed financial advisor, I'll be sharing valuable insights and expert tips to help you on your journey. Our free events cater to all levels of property investors and first-home buyers. I'll also tell you more about how we help our clients achieve their financial goals. So if you're interested in finding out more about what we do, visit propertyapprentice.co.nz today to secure your spot and register for our events. Alternatively, book a no-obligation phone call or meeting with my husband, Paul Roberts, through our website. That's propertyapprentice.co.nz. And if you're already a lifetime coaching client of ours at Property Apprentice, feel free to reach out to your coach if you've got any questions. Thanks for listening.